And welcome back, boys and girls, for another special edition of the Michael Deacon Program. Joining me in a moment is Mr. Steve Marin, who was an Army veteran who proudly obtained an Army scholarship and graduated, and in his own words, only via a miracle. Steve was a nuclear, biological, and chemical defense officer. He was also assigned to lead an air search and rescue team in Central America. Air assault is what he is most proud of and wanted to be known. He's worked in federal prisons throughout the West Coast for over 10 years, and he will be joining us in a moment, folks. Put your hands together for Mr. Steve Marin. And joining me right now is Mr. Steve Marin. What's up, my friend? Hey, thanks for having me. I've been uh, waiting for this moment a long time. Me too. I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time now, and unfortunately, um, we're not doing this live. But that's okay. The spirit will live on through the program here, through the ether. So this will be entertaining regardless if it's live or not. And uh, Steve, we have a lot to talk about, and I understand you have a bit of a disclaimer before the interview here. What What is that all about? Yeah, I I, I have a, a suspicion that uh, throughout the interview, it's, it's going to come across as the Federal Bureau of Prisons and what we'll call from here on out on the interview, the BOP, uh, is is going to be talked about in a disparaging way, uh, and and that is something that isn't necessarily true. There are, there are many hardworking, brave people that do a very dangerous job uh, within the Bureau of Prisons. I think it's more the system that's broke, and and I'd like to speak more to that. Uh, but but I just wanted to to kind of put that disclaimer out. Lastly, uh, we'll be talking strictly about the federal prison system. Uh, I know some about various state systems, but they're they're both uh, uh, really, in a lot of ways, uh, very very unique to, to each state. Yes, and of course, you are a veteran, and I do thank you for your service. Thank you very much. It's an honor. Even though I know some people get very angry when you uh, mention that nowadays. Well, the parts that I stay around, folks are uh, real supportive of veterans. Um, and that's that's nice, and I think I think we all should still be very, very uh, supportive of veterans. That's for sure. I think so too, wholeheartedly, in my opinion. Because you know, some people they say, "Oh, you should thank them for their service." I think that is um, rather unusual, to say the least. It is, and there's there's some veterans that you know. I mean, they don't need to hear it every five minutes. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll say this, I. I got a, uh, a scholarship out of it, uh, out of my uh, time in the military. So my college was paid for. Um, you know, I got benefits when I purchased homes, when I, you know, you name it. So uh, it's def- definitely getting paid back uh, in, in plenty of ways. And the the, uh, the Department of Veteran Affairs takes takes very good care of me as well. So no complaints on this end. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, done quite the service for you. In a big way, and of course, you were deployed twice. By the way, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was uh, first uh, deployed to Bosnia, uh, and then secondly to uh, Central America. So did two two deployments there under my belt, um, and then uh, I got out literally days before nine eleven, and nine uh, eleven hits, and lo and behold, uh, it was time to go back. And it didn't take too long to get me back in because I'd only been away, but I had half my stuff of, you know, my gear in the garage yeah. still. So wow. we, we were okay. So I went back for another four years, except this time was able to train uh, troops before they went over. 
uh, and utilize that time that, that I had spent uh, deployed in Bosnia and Central America uh, and put it back to the soldiers that, that hadn't seen much since uh, really the first Gulf War. That's right. And you went out there, you helped train uh, some of their armies, right? Their military, rather. Yeah, no. That, so those were the guys that actually went out there as part of it. We trained the initial soldiers, the first wave that the we first went wave, in. right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we trained our own soldiers uh, on on you know a lot of what we had seen in Bosnia, whether it was uh, you know unexploded uh, devices, uh, you know ambush tactics, uh, really a lot of the same things that they were seeing when they first got there. We were training them up on. It wasn't like what happened with uh the um with iraq rather meaning meaning i know our guys were out there trying to help them they were training them out there no no no. so i was training uh our soldiers u.s soldiers yeah yeah right i understand that part but i'm referring to the other people that were i guess uh, essentially helped trained by us but that turned out to uh, be a bit of a bust. Okay, I'm tracking with you. My yeah, apologies. there's a difference. Yeah, 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 you're you're 100 correct. Um, it did turn out to be a bust. Um, it's it's a lot of uh, their culture. I mean, you know, for us, for instance, if we you know have a destination that's 12 miles away and we got to be there at a certain time, we're going to be there probably five minutes early uh, and go that 12 miles. Uh, you turn around, you look, and you'll see Iraqi soldiers just taking a lunch break and smoking cigarettes whenever they felt like it. Um, so the discipline was lacking, and and there were a ton. And and I don't want to get too much into speaking on behalf of what what happened over there. Uh, this is relaying from soldiers that came back to my unit after being trained uh, that were saying that uh, these individuals, uh, all they were doing was just gaining. Gaining ground and learning things about the enemy to to put it put it against us one day. Understood, but yeah, there lots of controversy surrounded that. In, well, not just one incident, but lots of things out there back in Iraq, um, 2005. I would I believe that's when we were out there as well, helping them with uh, different things. Mm-hmm. But again, the training wasn't uh, that that great. A lot of them didn't really know what the hell they were doing. Unfortunately, right. Absolutely. Um, and they, again, lacked a lot of fortitude. Uh, they, I think, kind of knew that the mission wasn't really going to go through anyway. Uh, there was a potential for corruption. I, I had a friend of mine, his job was literally to fly uh, throughout, uh, I believe it was Afghanistan, uh, it, with a duffel bag full of money. And he would meet with the villagers and he would pay them a down payment to build a school. And then he'd say, I'm coming to come back later and check on the, you know, how well the school is being built. And he flies back and, and there isn't so much as a brick on the ground. So I, you know, it, it was, in my opinion, and then, and then I'll get off it because like I said, what my deployments were, were different areas. I truly believe that there was not a waste there. We, we created a vacuum that drew in people that were going to come here and do something to us anyway and brought them to our terms on the battlefield. And, and we're able to take care of business over there versus it, it being here. Understood. And going back to Bosnia really quickly, what was that experience like for you, Steve? Well, it was surreal. Uh, you know, I uh, I graduated college uh, with an like I said with an ROTC scholarship, and uh, I was very young. I went to to college when I was just barely seventeen, 
And having arrived in, into Bosnia, and, you know, first of all, nobody even really knew we were there, which, you know, was funny. Like I, I mentioned to my neighbor that I was heading over there, and he's like, I don't even know that we're there. Where is that place? Uh, but when you think back to the Sarajevo Olympics, the Winter Olympics, and a lot of people uh, will, will remember those, everything was just fine there. It's a beautiful European country. Uh, it's certainly not third world. Uh, and, and we got over there and, and quickly found out that we were, we were in the midst of a investigation of genocide. And there's no other way to put it. Hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, you grow up real fast in that environment very quickly. But then you also see the, the, the strength of the, the military when everything is cut loose and all cylinders are firing, so to speak. It's unreal. I mean, we started in a barn when we first got there and turned the whole place over into a, a functioning base camp with a landing strip and everything uh, within, I mean, a very short period of time. So to know that you're there and you're that outnumbered, um, but that literally the guy next to you is whether he likes you or not is going to do anything in the world for you during that period of time. There really is no other feeling like that. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of veterans struggle with when they get out. You know, it, in the Army, I, I could pick up the phone at 2 a.m. I'd have 20 people standing at my door saying, how can I help? Uh, and, and so you miss that. And, um, and it's an experience that, that you really don't get anywhere else, I'd say, other than, than family. Understood, yes. Uh, I'm sure those relationships you've had are quite impactful and things and memories, rather, that you uh, remember, obviously, and they must go through your head. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of veterans do come back and lots of times uh, other vices get in the way. And that's, uh, you know, a, a different story, but one that we hear w way too often, the, the suicide rate is extremely high and that is quite disturbing. And um the government seems to not really care too much about that sort of issue. Well, you know, I kind of push back on that and say that, uh, you know, and nothing, nothing awful about folks that work at the VA. But let's face it, if, if I'm a doctor and I'm working at the VA and I'm not in a private practice making big, big money, yeah. I'm probably not the best doctor. Uh, and and, and the, the story goes on with other people and they're there just, just for a federal job. Um, but there's also ownership on the part of the veteran too. Uh, no, nobody forced anybody to go in. We signed up uh, voluntarily, came back. These things happened, and and then you got to address them. Um, you know, it, it, seeing a, a a well stuffed with bodies uh, before I left in in Bosnia, or a meat refining facility that was used to cover up evidence. Seeing all those things, no human being should, but you did, and 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 you've got to get back and process it. And they're they're exploring a lot of uh, different therapies now at this time. Ketamine's one of them, uh, and there's there's some success with that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's good though that it can be discussed now, because I guarantee you those those guys in World War II and Korea, et cetera, they saw all kinds of stuff and uh, and came across uh, just tr just tremendous odds. Um, but back then, if they were to talk about PTSD or something like that, they weren't getting help and they were, you know, being called a coward. And so they just kind of kept it to themselves. And I imagine many turned to alcohol. Uh, yeah. But at least now it's, it's you can talk about it and, and you're not going to be labeled uh, and it's acceptable. So yeah, there's been some some progress in that regard. 
And you said meat locker. What, what are you referring to here? Uh, it, it, I misspoke then. It was a meat grinder. Meat grinder. Uh, it was, yeah, so it was a meat grinder in Bosnia that they utilized to grind meat. They were trying to, to, to cover up the genocide each side. It was broken into different factions, but for the most part, each started doing the same thing to each other, which was basically going door to door uh, and and taking people and executing them. And so they would put them in that meat grinder that would dump out into, uh, I believe it was the Sava River. Uh, you know, um, that's what I was. Uh, that, that's what I was hoping you wouldn't uh, mention here. I, I was hoping that I wouldn't go there. Meaning, I'm sorry. I, meaning, you know, that I was hoping that uh, when I heard the term uh, meat grinder, that they weren't actually putting them oh, in a meat grinder. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Holy yeah, shit! And, and you know, it, and and that's that's what I love about this yeah. show is that uh, it, we can be open and we can talk. That needs to be talked about. People need to understand that. This wasn't some third world country. This happened in Europe, and it happened in the 90s. Yeah. And and it was surreal for me to be doing foot patrols and walking around a, a beautiful, or what, what once was a beautiful village in Europe, uh, and, and walking around seeing all that destruction. I thought, what happened? Uh, you know, everybody was just getting along. But it, it, it goes to show that when the unemployment rate through the roof as it was there, uh, people get to drinking like they did there, and one charismatic leader steps forward and starts raising hell about stuff. Before you know it, he's marching masses of people. Um, so that there's a lot to be learned. Uh, we were told that we'd be home by that Christmas, and uh, I, I believe we stayed 10 or 12 years. And if you look up at the news now, it's it's heating up Damn. Uh, again over there. Yeah. Well, you just can't forgive those things, and and it's right. it, it, it's going to take generations to to forgive. What, I agree. What yeah, and only days after nine eleven, you uh, had to make the trip out there. Right. So days after nine eleven, uh, realized that uh, you know I was missing the big game, so to speak. Um, I was having some challenges myself right. uh, transitioning into civilian uh, sector, and and so I went and. Uh, and and joined up uh, once again for another four-year period, um, except this time, all those lessons learned uh, from Bosnia and Central America and all the other training, we were able to give back to the troops that were going over that didn't know any of these things, you know. Understood. Uh, like, when, you know, like little things like if you got to urinate on a convoy, you don't go off into the weeds and do it where there's landmines. You stay right. right there on the road and do it. You don't pick up anything off the floor uh, or the ground, you know, just simple things like that. How to clear a minefield. Um, all of that was, was given back. And uh, I can proudly say that, that uh, the soldiers that came through my training center uh, in California uh, all came back. And, and so I'm very proud of that number. Very good. Yeah. That's a good thing. You don't want any sort of fragging sort of thing going on back like in Vietnam. Yeah, no. Right, right, yeah, no, and those I think those days are, are over. Those days with, must um, be, yeah. I would have to imagine probably those days are long gone by now. I hope. Yeah, it's a testament to the to the ROTC programs that that are throughout uh, the universities, um, as well as you know, obviously the the Naval Academy, the Army, uh, West Point. Uh, you know, they they've taught them. It, it's because this. It, I'll tell you this: when when you when you first get in as a second lieutenant. You literally barely know how to put on your uniform, and people are reporting to you 
that have been in the army as long as you've literally been alive. Damn. Calling you sir. And and you're signing on the dotted line for millions of dollars worth of equipment. And it's it's your your head will spin. And so what what I thankfully was taught was you're not gonna go down there and start bossing people around. That that doesn't work. Embrace who they are, uh appreciate their their uh and respect their experience. And they will give it back to you 110%. And, and that's exactly how it went down. I'd go over there. I'd meet with my new guys. And I'd say, listen, you tell me black is white. I, I, I got to believe it because right now I don't know. But I promise I'll learn. And, and little things like, you know, if we had to stay late, uh, you know, officers can go home if that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. I'd stay with my guys in the motor pool, order a bunch of pizzas. Uh, you know, I'd have a, a private show me how to do something on a vehicle so that, you know, he, he knew that I took an interest in what he was doing. And, and all of that creates this culture uh, of a unit that, that's functioning and successful. Now, I'd ask you this about 9-11, since we did, uh, you know, we kind of glossed over it here. What was the morale back then? During that, that point in time, what were your fellow colleagues saying, by the way? We were all chomping at the bit. Um, I mean, really, we, we were ready to go. Uh, and, and we're wondering what was taking so long. Um, but everybody was ready to go. Uh, they really were. And, and there was a, a unified front. Like, you know, when yeah. you take go back to my Bosnian example, people right. can look at that and say, that's a European problem. Like, what, what do we want over there? There's nothing for us there. Why are we getting involved in this? This was personal. And and when when we watched the footage of the towers fall down, that's when and and thank God all those special operations guys that went over there first uh, and set the set the ground for the battlefield to to let us go in there and do what we could do. Then somehow it it became uh, muddied uh, with with politics and how you can't bomb a mosque. Well, you know, oh by the way, that's where they all are. Uh, so it'd be nice just to take them out. Well, you can't bomb the mosque. And you can't do this. And so when you put handcuffs on the military, uh, th- that's what you get. Uh, and, and, and those were those hard times that we had until they finally took the handcuffs off. Yeah, and that's one thing that I, I have to emphasize is the fact that they are also shooting rockets from these places that you can't bomb. Exactly. So I'm sure that is quite frustrating. And, of course, the media doesn't really cover that very often they try to sort of um i guess hide that simple fact absolutely or or when you know they they put out reports that turn out to be entirely wrong that like not too long ago they were reporting there was nobody in that hospital uh that was related to hamas and right. so on and so forth it turned out there there was all kinds of of, of uh, uh, uh weaponry in there and and people so there, there's no corrections made to the story um and geez i, I mean I didn't think we'd go this route, but I tell you, when, when it comes to, to the Muslim religion, um, you, you got to ask yourself, how many times are we going to play this game? Uh, it specifically states in their Quran that if you're not on board with us, you got to die. And uh, the way they treat their women, the children, the walking around with the little boys hand in hand, won't even get into those stories. That kind of stuff... Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, at some point in time, again, it's it's just got to stop. And 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 that's all they understand is force. That's all they get. Um, building a school and giving them some money that that didn't mean anything to them. Um, 
he, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Trump even tried to have the Taliban over for a negotiation. But when he, when he had him there, he told him, he said, I, I, I could literally put a missile through the window that you're sitting at talking to me right now. Yikes. That's what they understood. And by the way, you mentioned the, the, the young boy thing. And that's uh, something that obviously isn't really talked about very often in the media. But a lot of our soldiers were disciplined over that, over getting involved with the whole young yeah. Iraqi boy sort of thing. Yeah, there was a lot of guys that, uh, and listen, I'm sure a percentage of them may, may themselves have been victims of sexual abuse at a younger age. Probably, but nonetheless, yeah. yeah, it it angered because um, they they knew exactly what was taking place there. Yeah, um, and and to not be able to step in and intervene and do something about that. Um, made made a lot of them very angry, and they right. came back. And, and it really wasn't so much the the combat or losing people as it was. You know, I'm obviously not speaking for everybody, but many of them were like, "That this can't just be ignored." Right. But it was. It was, and it's real. Uh, there there are some pretty decent documentaries on YouTube if you're interested in learning more about it. But uh, yeah, it's just just sick stuff. Absolutely, and that's uh, the difference in cultures that we have especially uh, in terms of a battle. Sure. Pretty wild. Sure. I, I had uh, a very good friend of mine uh, that you can look up his uh, case. It's all public information uh, that had been uh, charged. And thank God uh, these charges were dismissed for, for murder. And, and uh, you, you look yeah. at the situation and th those people would never render aid to any of our soldiers over there. Um, and, and so the, in this particular case, the, the soldier knew that this person was going to die. It was evident. And so he, he, he did what he thought was the merciful thing to do. Um, and that's the wrong answer. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it does frustrate me. Like you said, we know, we know where they are. Um, but, but we we're, we're so worried about it. Three soldiers just the other day were killed over in the Middle East. Three right. soldiers. What have we done in response to that? Probably when when did that response come? Yeah, I don't, I don't right. think we did It'll anything. Probably right? be some little outhouse get blown up that had a few bullets in it, whatever bullshit. But uh, but you know those 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 people need to disappear, and and it sends a clear message: do, do not ever do that again. Yes, and by the way, we're very pro-military here. A lot of our a lot of our um, listeners out there are actually veterans or currently enlisted. By the way, shout out to all of them. Yeah, and, shout and out to all those guys. That and, and I, let them know that uh, do not hold all this stuff in. Find somebody uh, that you can talk to about it, that you trust. Uh, give the VA a chance. Uh, it's, it's, it's a government system. It's not perfect, but there are a lot of people there that care. And uh, don't, don't carry this around uh, on your own and, uh, and know that there's a lot of people out here that respect you. Absolutely. And where are you with 9-11? What happened uh, that Tuesday morning and the aftermath? Do you believe the well, official narrative is what uh, ultimately I'm trying to ask here? I, I guess, you know, I, I've heard a few of your shows on the topic, and I, it's so hard to wrap your head around anything other than the narrative, right? Uh, but but then when you start hearing things and bits and pieces about it, 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 it does bring questions. And that's why I love your show so, so much as I, I do. When I am done with one of your shows, I'm on the Internet reading and, and trying to get smarter about stuff and looking at it and thinking it. Um, I, I, I really couldn't speak enough to it. I mean, but I, 
I'll say this. If, if they're, they're going to tell us that there's no extraterrestrials for 80 years and then suddenly come out and go, oh, yeah, by the way, there are, well, then it wouldn't surprise me if there's more to that story. It wouldn't surprise me if there's more to Kennedy's story right. uh, and so on and so on. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, we're, we're never going to really have a quote-unquote smoking gun because the government would never produce a quote-unquote smoking gun for the public to consume. And the government doesn't exactly have a good track record, as you know, and our government doesn't actually really tell us the truth on a lot of things. Absolutely. I mean, and, I wish that, military, I, I wish that was different. Complex. Yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, I wish that was different. I wish that wasn't the case, but that's the way things work here in our government. They don't like to admit when they're wrong. Right. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange thing. The industrial complex is a real, it's a real problem. Real thing to be concerned about. We were warned about it a long time ago. So, you know, you, you got to wonder. I don't know. I just, uh, I, I'd like to be more worried about what's going on in the United States right now than running around and trying to be the world police. That's what um, I'm saying. Yeah. Right now, um, it's yeah. essential to sort of look after the problems that we have in our own backyard than to be primarily focused on what's going on uh, the other side of the world. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we have uh, the most sophisticated technology. We have all kinds of uh, cool, shiny gadgets and awesome weaponry that hasn't been publicly disclosed yet. Yet, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on uh, things that don't exactly matter, essentially. You know, we all bow down to corporations, and that's really who's calling the shots these days. Uh, my friend, unfortunately. Absolutely. As well as the media. As well as it, the know, media, it's, right. It's sad that there's there's really, it's so hard to turn to a source and read it and, and think to yourself, is, is this accurate or, you know, and... and uh, I'm glad you and, sent and, that. And where's the agenda? Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you're saying that because that's what I'm referring to when we go by the quote-unquote official narrative, the, the story that's given to us by our government. And again, you can't fully trust them on these on these issues. You know, you you go back and look throughout history, and you also have to ask yourself: Did it really go down that way? And most right. most time, no, not at all. And that that brings yeah, another exactly. layer. Yeah, it brings another multi layer to these issues. With let's say the 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 nine eleven commission report, the official report on what exactly happened, and when you look at that. You sort of scratch your head and say, yeah, it is interesting, but it also sounds like bullshit to me. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> things don't always just, they, they don't go down that way. And it's never recorded right. the way, the, the actual way it went down. Uh, we have a problem with that. And it's funny, a lot of these reports, you'll see that there's a piece to the puzzle that's missing. And they'll, they'll find one and jam it in there. You know what I mean? So here it is. And you can clearly see that's not where it belongs. Right. But close enough, uh, you know. And, and that's the best analogy I can use. I, I'm still flabbergasted how uh, we, we got nothing with the Pentagon as far as footage goes. Yeah, that's another thing. Right. That's another don't, issue. Don't that it doesn't make sense. A lot of it doesn't make sense. There's no There's no camera footage there. There's no camera footage of Jeffrey Epstein. There's no camera footage of uh, of even us walking on the moon way back in the day. That that the original footage <laughs> is no, is no longer here. They recorded over it. Right. So you you have yeah, to it's, wonder. It's like NASA, NASA. Right? I can imagine like at the end of their workday, yeah. the scientists are all just wandering around looking for their car because <laughs> they forgot what they parked. It's amazing that the most important footage in the world Gone. got lost. Yeah. 
And, you know, but the thing about it and the reason why I like your show is, is that I, I think it's balanced enough to where now we, we can have these discussions and not be labeled as a conspiracy nut or, you know, and, and be able to look at things differently. And sure, uh, there, there are some pretty outlandish accusations that get thrown around within these theories, but there are pieces that deserve further explanation. And, and we just are kind of told to shush, shush it and move on. Pretty much. And that's what was going on back after 9-11. If you question the narrative, you were automatically labeled as a traitor and kind of a scumbag just for, for saying that you don't exactly believe the narrative. Right. I think those days are kind of long gone, thankfully. I think people are much more open now about these things and they're going through it and they're seeing uh, back, they're seeing through the history back in time and they're now they're questioning everything, which I think is, is great. I think you're allowed and should be encouraged to question just about everything. Why not? Sure. Well, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons that, that they're not going to tell us the absolute truth uh, right. about these UFO situation. Um, because if you did, then at that point in time, it opens a huge can of worms to ask, well, what else have you been bullshitting about? Right. You know, and I mean, this is such a crazy thing to think about, even in the 60s or 70s, you know, that these things exist. And if you brought it up, they put you in a mental institution. And now they're releasing footage from the Navy saying we see them all the time. So, uh, yeah, go, go figure. Um, it, it is. I th This next election period is going to be very important. Very, very important. But I don't think we can do another four years of all this shit. And I don't mean to go down that route. That's okay. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it's very important. Very, very important election. Right. And again, we, we don't have any photographs of Osama bin Laden. You know, our government right. claims that we had his body for a few hours and then we just dumped him into the sea. Sure. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll show the Saddam Hussein hanging. We'll show his, his two sons laying there, bloated, bullet ridden. We'll show all kinds of stuff. But we don't get to see him. Yeah. So and how many of those 9 11 victims do you think would love to see that, that bullet through his head? Plenty. Sure. But I don't believe he so was. Um, I, I don't believe he was responsible for nine uh, eleven. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know enough about it, and and I, I worry too much about UFOs and, and other the Kennedy assassination. You name it, more more than I can that, and and I, I just can't get my head. No, I understand. It. Uh, so I can only take on so many so many cases. Yeah, once, Michael. Yeah, you can only <laughs> take in a, a lot or a little rather before it turns into a lot. No, I, I agree. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the whole UFO thing is actually quite fascinating right now. That's another hot topic. But again, the most hottest topic, though, Jeffrey Epstein, the fact that there's no footage. There's no footage of him even being walked around anywhere either. Right. Well, let me let me tell. Uh, first of all, I, I'm not here to, to debate whether or not the uh, official narrative is accurate or not. What I want to share with you is my knowledge of the, the type of institution that he was in right. and the way that things happened there. Um, so it's, it's a high rise, uh, and the Bureau of Prisons, um, will have high rises throughout most metropolitan areas. Um, so they had a high rise there in New York City. Um, the high rise, uh, has incredibly skinny windows, uh, that I, I don't even, I mean, maybe a kid could get lucky to get through. Uh, the rest of it is brick, uh, and, and reinforced steel. 
Um, so you just don't go bebopping into a, a detention center, a federal detention center. So and let's just hypothetically say that this was an inside job. So this, this is what it would take. Um, you've got uh, people that are down below in the control center when you first walk in. won't share with you the numbers, but there's multiple. Uh, then you either are able to get up the, uh, the uh, institution via an elevator, uh, which has cameras in it, or uh, via the stairs. Um, either way, um, not every – there are literally – like when you carry around keys in a prison, you, you could sometimes – have upwards of 20 to 25 different keys and they're called Folger Adams keys with these giant keys. Uh, and, and, uh, they're made intentionally that way. So you're either going to take the elevator or you're going to go by the stairs and somehow you've gotten past the guys downstairs. So you make your way up to the floor. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I read the report, yeah. Nothing in there surprised me. I have seen <laughs> yeah. all when I've been with the bureau, or I'd been rather uh, with the bureau of prisons for ten years. I saw cameras broken all the time. I saw cameras that were not uh, functioning appropriately because they had the lenses hadn't been cleaned. You know how they have a bubble lens; those need to be cleaned of dust and freed out. Um, that would rarely happen. You put in the work order, and and maybe you're lucky if weeks later, uh, you know, somebody shows up. Um, and uh, and does something with the cameras, and and the institutions they actually like the cameras to be broken because that that's what that if there's any sort of excessive force or or anything that's taking place that shouldn't be nefariously, it doesn't get captured. So so they they don't they're never really in a big hurry to fix these cameras. And the other thing about them is is they're so outdated. This is not like the movies where you pull up this amazing crystal, you know, clear footage of it. These are shit cameras, pardon the French, uh, that are up there uh, facing these things. So the fact that the cameras were broken was not a surprise to me. Um, it was not a surprise to me that the two people working that unit were not even correctional officers. Okay, the, the, that special housing unit that he was housed in is one of the most dangerous housing units in the world. The worst of the worst are in those cells. You do not just arbitrarily stick two people in there whose job is, you know, to be a, a treatment specialist or a counselor and say, have at the shift tonight and we'll give you some overtime. So you got two people in there that really don't know what they're doing. Um, it did not surprise me that the count was not conducted properly. Those get pencil whipped all the time. You're supposed to walk down the range with a huge flashlight and shine it in and physically see the body and go to the next one and go to the next one and count. Instead, what they'll do in the middle of the night is they know there's 130 guys on that unit, write down 130, you sign it, I sign it, lieutenant comes and picks it up, and that's a wrap. So, so none of that surprised me that none of that had occurred. The other thing that, that if, if you want to think about this as a conspiracy, inmates love to tell on law enforcement, and they love time off for telling. You mean to tell me that not one inmate on that range wouldn't have stepped forward and said, hey, I saw somebody go in there, and I'll tell you exactly what it's like and cut some time off my sentence. No, there, there was nothing like that whatsoever. The keys that had to be drawn, when you go to the door, so you go to Epstein's cell, there has to be an officer at the end of the range and you call out the cell number, and he pushes the button from down at the end of the range, and it automatically opens, and you go in. That's incredibly loud. 
a lot of those inmates don't sleep at night. They'll sleep during the daytime. Um, so, so, you know, somebody would have seen something and at least stepped forward by now and said it. We're talking about a conspiracy that would have involved, I'd say, at least 20, 25 people. Um, I, you know, the, the, uh, I, that, that one, uh, guy that did the autopsy, that one doctor, you know, he, he turned into doctor autopsy celebrity. And so he's always on this saying something ain't right. Well, you lay on the top of a bunk bed with a short enough sheet tied around your neck and you roll off very rapidly, you will snap your neck. I have actually seen, and I'm not, hand to God, an inmate drown himself in less than an inch of water in his toilet bowl. By himself in the cell. Inch of water. Inch of water. Damn. Inch of water. It's pretty wild. And and, and he he was supposed to be watched by uh, what they call an inmate companion. And so every now and then the inmate would peek in the window and write down sleeping. Then, you know, 15 minutes later, he does the same thing. Yeah. Um, That guy was, of course, wasn't doing his job. Um, and, and yeah, he drowned himself in that. Uh, the, the stories are countless for people that want to kill themselves. I think where we, where we all get bent around the axle is, is it, it's, uh, it, it, there, there must have been something by the United States Attorney's Office or so, somewhere that said, we don't care what names you give us. You're going away forever. And, and that he saw that, you know, but, but, then that's hard to get your head around about well, why not in the end just take them all out and yourself. Um, I, I, I don't know, um, but the uh, the footage of uh, the body exiting the, the building um, that's legitimate. You can still see the staff doing compressions uh, on his chest, and that's something that by policy uh, the BOP does. You, you keep giving compressions until a, an actual doctor at a hospital pronounces him dead. Um, so it, it was it was a perfect storm of of just an absolute low reliability organization um, that that has fallen apart and, and is only getting worse. And and really that's what I, I wanted to talk about most, um, if I may, um, is is this issue with the Bureau of Prisons um, and the fact that uh, there there's a lot of unrecognized people out there um, that do this job day in and day out. And, and the average life expectancy of, of someone who does corrections for a profession for uh, their entire life, you know, 20 plus years or whatever, is is below 65 years of age. That 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 tells you something right there. Um, it's an inc- incredibly intensive, uh, very very uh, uh, stressful job. Um, and and again, the system is broken. And, uh, you know, you, you lose yourself as a staff member there. And I myself went through the same thing, whether it's uh, mental health or substance abuse concerns. Um, you know, I, I went from a, a joking, fun-loving guy, uh, you know, to this facade of someone that I was uh, in there trying to pretend like I was, you know, uh, not scared to be in there. Um, and, and it changes you. It changes you dramatic, uh, drastically. And there's a human aspect to it as well, Michael. Some of these guys in there, you looked at and you said, by the grace of God, there goes I. Uh, um, didn't, didn't grow up with the same opportunities that other people did. Uh, maybe, you know, been bounced through foster systems, no parents, whatever the case is. And, uh, and they, they found themselves in there. But once you got to know them and see some of their skill sets, whether it was their artistic ability or their engineering ability, um, there's some very, very smart people in the federal prison. 
and, and they, they caught, caught a bad break. But then there is, in fact, evil inside. There. Yeah. And I saw it firsthand, and, I, and, and only, only a handful of times did I ever see it and feel it. Like, you can literally look at this person and feel the evil. And there's two, two uh, cases of right can share them with you. I, yeah. But by the uh, way, I, I just wanted to quickly say, um, going, going back to Epstein really quickly, are, are you aware of his brother, Mark Epstein, by the way? Yeah, and who, who I believe he, everything was turned over to him for his affairs to, to be handled, right? Right, and he's been disputing the New York uh, medical examiner's conclusion that his brother committed suicide. Uh, Mark was claiming that the photos taken inside uh, Epstein's jail cell following his death pretty much didn't support the suicide theory, and that th that was according to him. Obviously, I I don't know what he saw exactly, but he was making a big fuss about it, if I recall correctly. Well, well, what I saw in those photographs that really confused me is that, like, for instance, he had a CPAP machine in there with a long extension cord. I have never once seen, seen that. a CPAP machine in an in, in a special housing unit like that. Uh, um, I the 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 excess sheets that he had, he had he had way too many sheets that should have been issued. Uh, he had additional clothing. Um, and and so I I don't know the legalities behind whether or not the, the brothers' payout is different if it was a suicide versus a homicide, or could they you know be be, be preparing for a lawsuit against the VOP? I don't know, um, but I do know that you know for instance when you uh, when you go to a federal prison and you say I feel suicidal, they literally strip you of everything and they put you in a paper like uh, gown outfit. And uh, and there's a metal bed and that's it and you sleep on that right. and, and you stay there until you say I don't want to kill myself anymore. Um, he did go through that period of time and and he did step forward. He he was in those legal visits for an extraordinary amount of time. And from what I understood, yeah. a lot of the times they weren't even talking about anything about his case. He just wanted company, and so they'd all be in a private setting in there talking about God knows what. Um, and and I, I I don't know I I think that 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 first time around where he had the private cell in Florida and he was incarcerated I I think that that that's what he thought to himself if it ever goes down again this is how it'll be and, I, and I'll be able to drop names or, or right. do whatever but this particular time I think he realized that was it it's over uh, exactly it's over and and why continue to do any of this. Um, and, and just, just get it over with because there was nothing, nothing positive ahead of for that guy. He, he was going to literally be in a separate cell for years and years until, uh, finally he, he was able to come out. He would have died in prison. Right. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, but again, so if he's got this big list of names, Michael, what, why, why didn't he drop him before he killed himself? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, now I remember Mark Epstein was also saying that the piece of bed sheet looped through a hole in the bottom of the bunk, which he believes would not be able to hold his brother's weight. Remember, that's the, the one of the claims he was making. Right. And that, that's inaccurate. Besides that, it you doesn't have to hold it very long. If you, if you like I said, if you yeah. gain momentum on a roll and, and it's a short sheet, it'll snap it. I mean, you don't have to be hanging there forever. Right. Jesus. What a way to go out, though, if he did, in fact, hang himself. Right. And, uh, 
you know, again, I, I, I'm not here to debate it. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly if the, the procedures would have, right. I mean, the, you, your, your biggest Hollywood blockbuster movie could put, put together. That right. But I, yeah, I agree. Like and look, look what happened to Hitler. You know, everyone thought he died in, in some bunker, but that wasn't, that wasn't the truth. What was it? Right. Well, in the end, yeah, sure. The Russians <laughs> wanted to claim the credit, but yeah. So, yeah, it, so we don't really know. That's the problem. Those two instances of evil that I wanted to bring up now that you've talked about some evil guys. Yeah, some very uh, evil men. Go ahead. There were uh, two Russian uh, mafia guys um, that had been involved in an escape attempt from a detention center, uh, exactly like uh, the one that Epstein was in. And and the only thing I can really say about it, uh, without getting into waters where I shouldn't be, is uh, there was literally a reenactment from the scene in Shawshank Redemption where there had been, uh, he had put papers up on his wall. Remember those Scantron bubble sheets we used to take in oh, yeah. school? And, I remember yeah, those okay. quite well. So <laughs> those, the inmates get those and they fill in the blanks on who they want to be on their phone list so they can speak to somebody. Well, he hung those over the top of the yeah. hole, and I'll never forget the papers being ripped apart. And it was, it was a complete reenactment. There's a hole. And and everybody was at the same time like mouths open, holy shit. So uh, we had to to do an investigation that I I came on the, the the bureau side of the investigation for a disciplinary committee. And I remember I sat down with them and I had a stack of evidence and and I sat it down and I said, man, you kind of fucked, huh? I was just kind of chuckled and looked at him. There was no soul there. He he stared at me and and inside I could feel it. And and I knew that this was a straight killer that had no remorse for anything in his life he had done. And then his partner was the same exact way. And the, and there was a uh, serial killer out of Wisconsin uh, who uh, even behind uh, a, a locked door uh, just just sent chills down your spine. You could look at him and see it exists. It does. Um, and 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 like I said, there's a huge portion of the population. They aren't like that. Right. And, uh, Hold on. Let me, let me just quickly, let me, let me just quickly say that you worked at a, at several federal prisons, I believe, for many, many years. Uh, for those who are kind of confused on why we, uh, are, are talking about this, it's because our friend Steve here has done this for many, many moons, folks. So it's not like he doesn't have skin in the game. Absolutely. As well as relatives growing up. I mean, I grew up in this, uh, life where, uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that that I heard, you know, all the time, um, and knew about it. And I remember my dad took me one time to a prison that was brand new, kind of trying to do a scared straight version. Oh yeah, I remember. And, and, he, and he put me in a cell and locked the door. And I, oh shit! And I just remember being yeah. in there for like five minutes, thinking, no, 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 I don't want to be here ever again. And uh, so I can say that I've done hard time. You've right? done hard okay? time. I did yeah. five minutes. <laughs> very hard time you know that that is that must be psychologically pretty wild to endure knowing that you you know you're gonna wake up you're gonna you're gonna go to sleep you're gonna wake up again and you're inside of a box a caged box basically like an animal absolutely and so, that's a special housing yeah. unit and that is where a lot of the mentally ill inmates will go because you end up in the special housing unit a few different ways. One, you fall under an investigation for something and they want to separate you from the population. Two, there's there's a threat out on your life. 
and they need to give you protective custody. Um, a lot of sex offenders will find themselves in there. And then a lot of the mentally ill people get put in there. And my point behind that is, is that they're not getting better, those mentally ill people being in that box. They're getting worse. And some of them will, will, will do stents or months. So I've, I've even seen people behind there for years doing the same exact thing, one hour of, of recreation, a shower, and right back in. No television. Uh, they can't have a radio. And they can, uh, when the library books come around, they can read a book. But other than that, that's it. That's it. Uh, that's it. Wow. And um, you look at it, and their, their mail gets closely scrutinized, and a lot of times, you know, there'll be vindictive officers that won't turn in the mail uh, to him because, you know, he was acting out or whatever. But there, there's a tremendous amount of mentally ill people there. And then going back to, well, who's treating them? Well, we do try and treat them. Yeah. But who do you think is showing up to a prison if there's a brand new psychologist, right? It, it, it's it's a starting point for people. They, they're scared to death. Most of them are female. Uh, they're getting played by the inmate to begin with just so he can sit and, and have a conversation with a woman. Um, you know, it's, it's disheartening. The yeah. Bureau of Prisons has tried a lot of different things. We had uh, uh, initially started a residential drug and alcohol program. It was called RDAP. And because Congress and, and the Senate were, were banging on the door, uh, I believe this was in the 80s, Thing, get, get some sort of treatment program in that in, in those institutions and and let's fix this and so they put together this beautiful program it even had a special prison assigned for, for just those guys nobody signed up for it Interesting. So they went back to yeah. they went back to the legislators and they said hey we can't get anybody and they said make them go give them time off their sentence yeah they gave them time off their sentence the line went around the block for that program. One thing is I, I, one of the things I did want to ask you here, and I'm glad you mentioned it briefly here, um, women and uh, why so many, I guess, prison guards, why are they always running off with the inmate? Not always, but, you know, we hear these stories and most famous was uh, Vicki White and uh, Casey mm -hmm. White, if you recall. Absolutely. Well, um, first things first. Anytime that, as, that a staff member sides with an inmate, you, you, you always ask yourself why. Why throw away all that, you know, career and your family and the humiliation, et cetera. Um, you have to remember that these guys have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to plot on you. Yeah. They watch you. They find your weaknesses. They overhear arguments with your husband. They, they hear, they see you crying at your desk. They do. And, and, and they prey on that and they are patient. And they take their time and uh, they work it and they work it and yeah. they work it until finally, uh, you know, something happens. There was a gal uh, there in Northern California. God, she's beautiful. Uh, and she she was in there and, and, and uh, with inmates uh, uh, having sex with them. Jeez, um, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And, I, and I've, I've, I've seen it before as well uh, on the male side of the house uh, with female inmates. Um, and the female inmates were typically – more more aimed at trying to get time off their sentence because remember once you become an inmate you cannot consent to sexual content you you're ward of the state or the federal government rather so you no longer it's rape if you do anything even though they may be enjoying themselves isn't that crazy so there's though no that, such thing as consent right isn't, isn't that crazy though that some prison guards either male or female you know they 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 be getting down with the inmates they're banging the inmates. Absolutely. They're getting involved in their personal lives. It's 
it's a mess what, what some of these people are willing to go through. I and, know it. Well, and by the way, know, by the way, again. by the way, by the way, just earlier, I was interviewing this uh, woman by the name of uh, Joanne Richards, who I like tremendously. I, I, I think she's a great person and everything. And she's one of these uh, women who marry an inmate that's doing life behind bars. Mm-hmm. She's no longer with him, thank God. But mm-hmm. for a while, that's, you know, well, actually, for almost like 20 years, they were in a relationship. Sure. Which is pretty wild to me, you know. Um, but I'm sure you can understand what that must have been like uh, for either the party there. I, I, it might be, I guess, somewhat almost romantic for the woman. Right. In a weird well, way. They, they feel as though they're, well, first of all, they'll hear a perfectly groomed story of why he's not even supposed to be there and he's innocent. And they'll buy into that. And they'll, you know, I'm telling you, on weekends in California, you go to the visiting room of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Oh, shit, yeah. Room, you'll see the most beautiful women sitting there. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a mind, uh, you know what. <laughs> right. And where's he going to go? He can't cheat on you. And, you know, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and, I, and I made that joke with Joanne. <laughs> I was like, he's uh, he, yeah. he, he's right where you left him. <laughs> he went nowhere. 100%. Luckily, she laughed at that joke, by the way. <laughs> she's a good She's a good woman. I, I do like her a lot, but my goodness, I mean, she's uh, had seven husbands, by the way. Wow. What do you make of that? Well, eight might make the charm. Who knows? Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know, my friend. And that's something in the federal system. Con- conjugal visits are not allowed at any federal institution. My whole thing is, why would you want to get married that many times after one failed marriage? Well, let's say two failed marriages. Why would you want to go up to bat again at that point? <laughs> I asked myself, why did I do it once? <laughs> See what I mean? Imagine doing it seven yeah. times. Sure. Good Lord, my friend. I, again, I, I don't want her to, if she ever listens to this, I don't, I don't want her to be like thinking that I'm like judging her in any way. Um. People deserve to to love and uh, love others and have a relationship and all that jazz. But yeah, that seven is, is pretty wild, my friend. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you would think you would learn. It's a lot. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go the eighth time to bat. That's but right. But yeah, conjugal visits aren't allowed in federal prison. You can get married. Um, that is allowed. Um, and they'll have a, a brief ceremony in the visiting room. Um, but uh you know, the, the things that you see in there, I was reminded, um, if I can share a story with you. Yeah, about, go ahead. Um, there, there used to be parole for federal inmates, uh, the same way kind of the state is. So in other words, you're, you were given 20 years, but you'd be up for parole in five, and you'd go before commission and say, these are all the neat things that I did, uh, you know, let me out early. Well, that stopped, and mandatory sentencing came in, and... uh there was good conduct time awarded, which I believe is a 54 days a year if you didn't do anything. So that really amounts to a hill of beans if you're doing 30 years. Uh, so so the, the time that the feds give you is, is accurate. And there are some leftovers in the system that uh, are still under what we call old law or parole. And there was a uh, an inmate who was a, uh, a sergeant in Panama. And, uh, he, he, uh, was assigned, uh, for, for the duties for the night for the barracks. And he took a key and he drew it and he went in and he, uh, raped and he killed a female soldier. Uh, then he went back 
uh, and, and did some other stuff and ultimately was, was put life in prison. And, uh, I'll, I'll never forget well, uh, when, when the family came, yeah. they, they brought this huge framed picture of their daughter in uniform. Oh my. And, and she set it up on the table and aimed it. So he had to see it. It was right in his field of vision. Ooh. And, uh, I, I, I left that day, uh, so heartbroken and sad. Yeah. And, and she did. She asked me, she said, uh, what, what does he do? You know, um, because this was the, the first time he'd been up for parole. And, uh, I said, he didn't do a whole lot. I said, he played some basketball. He, you know, takes some classes, but his existence is pretty miserable. Um, and she just kind of shook her head and, and, uh, you know, her husband put, put his arm around her and, and they walked out. Um, but it was moments like that, that you would see, and and how do you process that at the end of the day, especially if your spouse isn't in that world? You come home and you're trying to explain your day. Yeah. Uh, it it eats you alive when you see those things day after day, and then on top of it, the the violence inside there. The Bureau of Prisons does not issue weapons to staff members. You get a radio, and that's it. And the radio yeah, the has radio. the ability to know your location. Just a radio. And and it, they it knows your location by pushing a button, and so staff get alerted. And no matter who you are, you have to respond. But that response time could could vary depending on where in the prison you are. Right. Um. So you would hear throughout the day, all of a sudden, an alarm go off on the radio, and you'd hear this frantic voice, you know, stabbing on two B. Need need assistance now. And and you've got to drop everything you're doing and, and take off running to a knife fight. With with nothing in your hand but a radio, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it, it was wild, and so you experience that day after day. Uh, oh my God, yeah. The, the reports that I had to read, the pre sentence reports about what they did during the course of their crime, and have to read about, especially the the child offenses, and you, you know, and you're trying to process this year after year. Um, and, and it's, it's true. It, it, that, that's, that's why the life expectancy is so short. That's why alcoholism is through, through the roof. Um, and, uh, and not many people make it, uh, at all. And, and I think that that's where the system's dropping the ball. I think that they could, they could move these officers around, maybe to lesser security institutions or put them in administration, give them a break a minute from all of this, you know? And let them gather their thoughts, uh, and, and then go ahead and head back in. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that and the mandatory sentencing, I was very proud of my father. He used to, uh, he, he rose to the ranks very quickly and provided very well for our family. And he used to go to the universities that I would attend and, uh, and, and talk about prisons and mandatory sentencing. And mandatory sentencing is a, is a messed up thing and, and it needs to be looked at. It was part of the crack. Right. where they would weigh baking soda as well as the baggie it came in and before you know it a guy that had just a little bit of cocaine you'd think he'd have a pound on him um and with that there was a scale and if you were found guilty that's the scale that's the number no parole you're done uh and you go away for a very long time and there's 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 no you know unless you get on appeal which very rarely happens uh then you're not getting out so, so you've got mandatory sentencing, and then you've got this this flawed system of when they're released. So an inmate gets ready to release, and they'll send them to a halfway house first, uh, and where they're told they need to get a job, 
they you know need to complete certain drug courses, whatever the case may be. So they go and apply for a job. They have to say they're a felon on the application, and if they lie on it, it's wrong. If they do get the employer to to give them a second chance and, and hire them, guess who comes knocking like two days later? The probation officer in a bulletproof vest with a big badge around their neck. How's he doing? Yeah. You know, and how are things going? And they're all going what? And and so we're setting them up for failure. And in my opinion, unless you're a sex offender or or, or a violent violent offender, if we're talking drug charges, if we're talking you know, tax evasion, whatever, um, the, the time should be the time, and, and then you should be able to get truly a second chance. I agree. Because how do you, how you, how do you get out of that? Right. How do you so, get out of that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you've seen it done, and, and most of them have a lot of support from family. Uh, and, and I tell you, the, the answer, in my opinion, uh, and from what I've seen that works, is uh, – there's a and, and uh, listeners can look it up. It's called Unicor, and it's a company that uh, actually uh, has p- uh, plants and manufacturing areas inside of the prison. So I'll give you an example. During uh, uh, the Iraq War, all the shot up Humvees and everything would come to the institution and they'd be brought in, and the inmates would fix them and get them combat ready and out the oh, door. I see. Um, during that period of time, they actually earned, because I think it was, last I checked, it was like 50 cents an hour that an inmate gets for mop on the floor. And those guys would get like, I think it was just 10 or $12 uh, for working there. But then they would also be housed in a special housing unit mm. that had extra TVs or a popcorn machine or some sort of little amenity that meant more to them. But when they got into the rhythm of working and coming home tired from work after having, you know, learned something valuable, they go to bed, come up, do it again the next day. Those were the guys that were successful. I see. They left there with a skill set. They they knew how to work, do body work, they knew how to do, fix an engine, whatever the case may be. And and so now they had a, a viable resume that they could present, and, and they had a work ethic too. Um, but but if you tell a guy, uh, you know, for the next 10 years, you, you mop this floor for, you know, a couple of cents every day, what, where, where are we doing anything? But then what, what steps in is, is that, that that's where this pendulum swings, Michael. So the pendulum will swing oftentimes to rehabilitation, forgiveness, education. Then it swings to the right. Hard punishment. Don't, you know, uh, crack skulls. Do what you got to do. And, and, it, and it kind of swings back and forth, and it, and it goes with public opinion, but it takes a long time to, to get to that point to restructure it. So lobbyists will go to D.C. and say, how do you want me to have a, a company of people that, oh, by the way, are not locked up, fix a Humvee at, at the rate you're paying these people? And that argument makes sense, and so you can see both sides. But in my opinion, answer the answer to prison is work. Understood. And another question I forgot to ask you here was in terms of the violence that goes on in prisons all the time, what are some of the more uh, violent situations uh, you've encountered, Steve? Well, so many. Give us a give us a real crazy sure. one. Right. We want uh, not to. Well, yeah. well I, one that I thank God I was not a part of. Uh, it was a uh, colleague uh, was breaking of a fight between two inmates, and 
for some reason, this inmate uh, took the knife and stuck it down his own pants and cut his testicles off. Holy hell. The other he threw uh, his own I testicles saw, at, a, at an inmate. Yeah. yeah. And it's a true story. Holy shit. Um, I saw uh, someone get their, their throat cut right directly in front of me, and his body dropped, and the uh, the other inmates began climbing onto the chain link fence of the recreation yard, and they just jumped on his head over and over and over. There's nothing I could do. Um, it was just me, and if I had stepped Damn. in the middle of that, I would have been next. Yeah. Um, and, you would have been stomped that down. That wasn't, you know, in keeping... Yeah, that would have wasn't in keeping with our training anyway. We had to call. That kicked off a complete riot uh, at the prison, and so I was in the middle of a prison riot. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was New Year's Day, so we were pretty short-handed, um, and uh, that that was that was a pretty wild day because the moment that word got out that which groups affiliated did what to each other, yeah. all you heard on the radio was "need help" in two B, "need help" in one A, "need help." And, and the whole prison just kicked off. Wow. That must have been, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you, but uh, I'm sure you were probably scared at that time. Having experienced all that shit go down. It's terrifying because yeah. the, the realization sets in that you, you can't just get out. There's not like a quick exit door from a movie theater. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So you're not going anywhere. Right. There's nothing quick about it. Um, and, and again, you, you, so, so the best that you can do is is try and make, make decisions that make sense, uh, and 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 do what you can. So that, so the name of the game for me was I've got to get as many of these people locked behind this door as possible. And so through the way that I interacted with them, many of them listened to me. And and the only reason why is because I, I liken it to, to working at a prison is like swimming with sharks. You can do it, um, but if you don't know what you're doing, yeah. you're, you're going to get bit. And it's going to end badly. So I would I would do it through humor a lot of times. And so I'd see a real big guy, you know, out on the rec yard working out. And you know, I'm not I'm not some pro athlete type guy. And I and I go, hey, listen, man, if you need some workout tips, you let me know. I'll write you up a plan. <laughs> you, you'll be bigger and shit in no time. And they would laugh like hell. But what that demonstrated was he's not scared of me, right? He's being humane to me. And so when it came time. And, and and he had no involvement in this particular instance. Right. He gladly went in his cell and I locked the door. So you, you, we do it through the Bureau of Prisons has been around since 1930. And we've lost 26 officers, only 26 officers. Now, there's countless other uh, obvious serious injuries. Don't know the totals on those. But 26 officers since 1930. That includes Alcatraz. Um, that's a pretty good number. And, and the way that you do it is through the interaction with the inmate population. Many of them will tell you, it's, you shouldn't be here today. I'd hear that so many times. Oh, wow. Um, or calling sick tomorrow or whatever. So they would, they would um, tip you but, off, in other words. Yeah, absolutely. I Just see. that kind of out of respect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, <laughs> I'd always be there the next day. <laughs> right. It, it, because it, it's sick, Michael, because you want to be a part of it. It just, it, it turns into this whole thing. But, uh, if you ever want to know what real prison violence looks like, there's an episode of Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad where yeah. he has to time out uh, uh, the assassination of everybody that could testify against him. If you watch that scene, that is 
I had to turn it off and, and before and then watch it again because it was too much. It, it was, was that good. Exactly what happens in there. Um, so whoever did that was either an inmate or a staff member that, that orchestrated that. But that's how they do it. The, the, the objects are typically very short because there's not you know an abundance of metal in prison. Right, um, right. And so you have to stab a guy very quickly, as fast as you can. Uh, they'll put uh, feces on the on the uh, weapon. Oh yeah. So that when it goes inside of him, there's an infection in the event that he lives. Um, you know, there's there's so many tricks to it. Uh, but that that that's and I think it was King of the Road was playing in the background on that episode. I, I forget. But uh, that that is, if you want to know what a real prison assault looks like, that that's what they look like. That in the wire, when Omar gets locked up and he, he straps up with phone books, that 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 was also back in the day. Obviously, you don't have phone books anymore, but body armor was a big thing to try and put together when you were in there. Yeah, to protect your sides there from getting stabbed. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and every every inmate knows you know where the the, the weapons are located. Each gang, you know, has has their own territory. They're instructed to carry them, how to get them through the metal detector, how to beat uh, the system with the officer. Um, I mean, they'll, they'll do all kinds of stuff. Um, and so make no qualms about it. Number one, they were 20 times better shaped than anyone that worked there. They were had a weapon or they, the weapon was only feet away. And it was really their, their world letting us live in it. Right. And uh, uh, what's that term? By what the, it to. What, what's that term, by the way, that is referred to when like a prison inmate throws their own feces at you or another inmate. Oh, I, I think they, yeah, that's a, a state term. I think it's called gassing. You, you gas them or, or you, uh, I know what you're talking about. They'll save their urine and their yeah. feces and stuff, but those state institutions are, are much older. And so they're kind of bars with, with space in between them. Most federal prisons, the, the window is everything shut. So you can't you can't throw anything out of the cell. I can't and even imagine if someone that opens up and you stick it in there. Dude, I, I can't imagine someone throwing urine or their own shit at me. That would that would make me want to drive my knee through their jawline. <laughs> sure. Well imagine being a female staff member that gets oh my God. thrown on her. Yeah, that's another yeah. thing. I, I mean uh I don't think I could make it as a prison guard. I would probably beat the shit out of someone into until they're probably you know unconscious well there were there were times like i said where uh a new guy would come on board and he he would just straight walk to the front door and turn his keys and go i quit oh wow i'm not gonna do one more hour of this um and then there are some that 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 you you become used to it and uh it, it, it and that's kind of what i'm trying to bring out here is if you do work in corrections, go talk to somebody professionally. Please talk to somebody professionally. Don't just hang out with people that work at the prison and drink beer on your days off. Don't plot at night against inmates because that's what I used to do. If they ever mess with me, I'd sit and I'd think of ways to get them transferred to get, you know, whatever I could do to get my revenge, I would think about. And that's that that resentment is so unhealthy. Um, and, and it becomes your life and it consumes you. Um, yeah, that's another so, thing people oh, yeah, don't yeah. be very angry if that happens. Yeah, yeah. What you're describing here is something that's actually quite common. These inmates and, um, prison guards, you know, you, you have this personal vendetta that, that goes on and on until something bad happens. 
Correct. And a lot of times, though, a good supervisor will listen to the inmate, and he'll know his staff well enough to know there's a grain of truth here, and and they'll move them out of that unit um, and separate the two of them. But you don't want to do that too much because, you know, now you're giving the upper hand to, to them, and all they got to do is file a complaint. The right. next thing I know, I'm working somewhere I don't want to. But th- there are an, enough inmates that will do that. And then they, they, after a while, push will come to shove. Uh, I, I highly recommend a book called The Hot House, uh, and it's about uh, the penitentiary in Leavenworth where in one day uh, two staff members died. Um, and, and it was exactly centered around what you just said, Michael. They had, these two were at it every single day. Yeah. And he would fuck with him and he'd fuck with him. Right. And they'd go back and forth until, until finally he murdered him. But that's a very good book, uh, very realistic. Um, and, uh, and so you're, if you're interested in that kind of a read, that's, that's definitely worth it. And by the way, how much, I, I mean, before I even ask this, obviously drugs, play a key role and of course inmates either get it smuggled from like a family or something or they get it from one of the uh, prison guards as well i was going to ask you have you how much money have you seen an inmate have from contraband basically if you've ever encountered someone well, with like a bunch of uh, money in their cell yeah well they're not allowed to have real money um, in, in the federal system, um, they can have money on their books. Yeah. on their books um, rather. So yeah, on their books. And then, but, but the way that you pay for things in pr- federal prison is via stamps. And so stamps, stamps are basically the currency. So if you're at a gambling table and you want in, you, you put down the stamps right. and those, those stamps are, are then the, the currency. Uh, I've seen a lot of inmates where that was their hustle. They would, they would basically create their own convenience store inside their cell because the commissary is only open so many times a week and you can only go so many times. Ah, so if you yeah. wanted a bag of chips, you know, and, and watching the game at eight o'clock at night, you go down to whoever's cell that's doing it and you're going to pay double, maybe triple for what that chip would cost. Those chips will cost you, but right. he'll hook you up with it. So there's guys that did that. Um, there was a lot of guys that would gamble, uh, with it. Um, and, um, that, that, that was their currency. So, I see, I see a lot of inmates, uh, that, that came off of high profile financial cases that had an endless stream of money. Uh, and, and then, and then I would listen to phone calls, uh, because every phone call is recorded and you could just log into it. And it would be amazing. You'd hear one inmate call like five girls one after another. Hey, I miss you, sweetie. I love you so much. Can you send me some money? Cool. <laughs> Hang up the phone. Hey, sweetie. And, and, and the girls had no idea and the money just kept flowing in. Drugs. Uh, make the prison go around. And, and that's the truth. Uh, and so that's why a lot of times you don't see big disturbances because if that ha- happens, that's bad for, that's bad for business. Everyone's locked down. Nobody can trade. Nobody can get high. So if something happens inside of a federal prison, it's sanctioned at the highest level. And, and because the other thing is, is there's consequences on the streets. So if the Mexican mafia orders something to happen inside that prison, and it's against another gang. Well, guess what's happening six hours later in the streets of Los Angeles? So there's revenge coming. Ah, yeah. Um, so oh, I, right. I've seen plenty of, of guys that had all kinds of currency, uh, you know, with them on their books. Um, and that, sadly enough, one of the one of the big biggest ways it came in was through staff, corrupt staff. 
That's right. Very and corrupt stuff. It would happen. Sometimes it'd be very innocent. So, like for instance, uh, there was somebody who, who had been working on a staff member that said that his wife was dying of cancer. All he wanted to do was send her flowers, uh, you know. But they don't let let you do that here. You know, she's going to be dead soon. I just want to say, send her her favorite flowers. So the staff member goes ahead and does it, and and now the guy goes, all right. So um, got those flowers. So here's the deal. I'm going to turn in these flowers, and you can just lose your whole career, or you you can start coming in with other stuff that we need. And he fell right into that hook. H- had he not, had he he just been honest initially, he might have saved his job. He certainly would have gone to jail. But they fall into that trap, so they'll get hooked like that. Then there's uh, it comes through visitation, and the females obviously have some places they can hide, right? Uh, and they're bringing in that way. And a lot of times the, the institutions will look the other way uh, because when when there's when there's a drug trade taking place in a prison, you you can easier control it, believe it or not. I, I can walk on to any prison yard in the United States and tell you if something's going to happen or not just by listening. Just by listening, I can tell you if anything's going to happen. And so when everyone, when the drug trade is going well, everyone's getting along, there's a lot of noise inside the prison, people are playing sports, you have nothing to worry about in that prison if you work there. But if it's quiet, yeah, you, you look out. Be ready. And if everybody's wearing boots. <laughs> that means there's going to be a fight, right? Oh, yeah. Something's definitely. Or something, yeah. Very wild. Yeah. Very, very wild. And. Do you ever uh, miss working at a, at a prison? You know, for for the beginning part, I did uh, yeah. mostly because I I, I related. It, it was a it was a real uh, relatable thing for me and my my pops, me and my dad, because uh, right, right. you know he'd done it for so long, and and it was a way to for him to convey advice to him. You know, as, the same way as if he was you know in the insurance business and taught me how to do that. Uh, I, I miss it for those reasons. I miss it uh, for, for a lot of times uh, the uh, the excitement of it as as detrimental as it was to your health. You almost did get addicted to it oh, wow. because those two penitentiaries that I worked at, I actually volunteered to go to those. I didn't have to, but I wanted to get into that world, and and I still can't really explain why, but. If you if you offered me double the salary for the job I do now to go in there, I'd I turn it down. I, w- I would never do it again. Understood. Um, I learned a, tr- a, a tremendous amount. I learned how to write reports appropriately. I learned how to uh, so, you know interact with people uh, in, in social skills. But now today, you know, you put me in a, in a crowded Walmart, I'm I'm out. I, I'm I, I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> I my hear back you. is always facing the entrance to places. Um, and, and I'm literally like a computer screen, like on the Terminator, I'll size every single person that walks past me up just because it's, it's an automatic thing after so many years. And that, that's just no way to be after time. It gets better. Um, but I, 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 that's why, again, I, I, I really would encourage anyone listening that, that does corrections. Well, I, I I guess we, uh, and, and go see somebody. Yeah. Don't be ashamed of that. And I guess we do have uh, some things in common. The fact that I, I, I turn my back against the wall, I don't like people standing behind me. Uh, anytime I see someone out in public, a lot of people out in public, I, I always think about what weapon I'll use in case uh, things go south, in case I have to stab someone in the throat or, you know, things like that of that nature. That goes through my head every now and then, to be honest. 
Sure. Which is not normal. Listen to look at look at what happens all the time around these mass shootings and stuff. It's not stupid to be that way. I, I don't think it's um, stupid. I, I think it's just overly critical. Um, but yeah, my mind does go through those things, those scenarios where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do this uh, X, Y, and Z. I might have to. Um, I'm thinking I might have to break a few laws to get out of this one. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm exactly. like, yeah, I'm going to face a few felonies after I do this. I'm thinking. I sometimes admire people that can wander through life and like Mr. Magoo and, and to just not even notice anything. I know. You know. I mean, I wish I could I mean, go through. Yeah. You know, I wish I could go through life just like that. Just as what you're describing uh, right now. Yeah, someone that just sort of uh, has lights on, no one home sort of a uh, thing going on. Where, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could be like. I guess like a majority of people out there, majority of Americans out there are very much like what we just described. The lights are on, but no one's home. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And they, you know, and I think that those are the ones though, that when something does kick off, whether yeah. it's a mass shooting or whatever, uh, they, they, they react poorly and they become a victim. I mean, some, sometimes obviously you can't help it, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a bad, necessarily a bad thing to be aware of your surroundings. Um, but you know, I've, I've literally abandoned a full cart of groceries and left because I was, you know, oh, wow. and, and what I learned through a lot of the, the, the PTSD yeah. uh, clinics that I've been through is a lot of times people's reactions. So when you go in there with this look and, and, and you're, you're intensely sizing people up and you're, you're, you know, you're aware of your surroundings and everything, people see that. And then they automatically go, well, what's going on with this guy, right? right. And then they start acting squirrely. And then next thing you know, everybody in the aisles acting squirrely. Um, and and so that that definitely can play a part in, in it. But uh, no, I understand it. And and again, it's uh, I'm just glad that we've gotten to a point in society to where we're allowed to talk about it and not you know be called uh, you know weak or, or less yeah. than. Or have General Patton slap us across the face right, and call yeah. us a coward and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one should be demonized for these sort of things or vilified, whichever proper phrasing we can go with. But yeah, I'm right there with you, my friend. And any advice for those who really do want to work in a federal prison today? Well, um, I would say first, uh, understand what, what it is that you're getting yourself into. Um, clearly understand that, uh, I would start at a lower level facility if you can. A lot of these places are located in remote parts of, of the United States. So yeah. I actually progressed the same way that an inmate would have. So I started at a camp with, which has no fence around it and you can literally come and go, um, sneak out of there, at least come and go uh-huh. to, to a detention center, to a low, to a medium, to a high penitentiary. And that gave me the opportunity to to kind of play softball at the camp and, and then to where I got to play hardball with the big boys uh, and, and understand how, how to carry myself there um, and how to get them, uh, you know, again, to to and, and a lot of military skills came out of that, too. Trying to trying to build allies. The guy that the classic uh, guy that I always think about is on the green mile that little uh little uh officer who used to he was there to be a nepotism and he right, would beat on right. inmates and you know th- those people exist they're real and, and look at the stanford experiment anybody's never heard of that look that up on youtube there are people that change when they go in there and they become 
power hungry and sadistic. Uh, and, and so you, you need to know yourself. You need to know what you're getting into. Um, and, and if it is not for you, don't stick around. You know, it's, it's okay to go. Um, but, uh, and, and then like I said, never, never ever trust any single inmate, no matter what. And I hate to say that because there's a lot of them that I used to joke sometimes with the Mexican mafia and I go, Hey, if I was ever in your neighborhood, would you guys let me barbecue and have a beer with you? And they go, Hell yeah, you can come with us. And we'd be joking and stuff, but not for a second that, that I doubt that those guys wouldn't, wouldn't absolutely put me in the ground if that's what they had to do. Um, so you never trust anybody. Uh, and, and sadly, you can't trust staff either. Yeah. But, um, criminal justice major, uh, in college will do you some good. And you can have an understanding of the criminal mind. Um, and then maybe have a goal, too. There was a lot of guys that were there to become FBI agents or DEA or whatever, and that was kind of their jump point. They'd just gotten out of college, didn't get picked up right away at whichever academy. So they go to the Bureau of Prisons, they get some time under their belt dealing with, with, with uh, inmates, and then they jump from there, U.S. Marshals, Service, Border Patrol, wherever. Um, and, and that, that seems to be something effective as well. The Bureau of Prisons does not do a lie detector tests, whereas others do. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Okay. And so, yeah, they don't Interesting. do one. Um, they do do an extensive background check, uh, where they will knock on doors and, and ask all questions about you, uh, and find out all, all kinds of things. And um, those reports are fascinating to read because you, you have access to them. You used to not, but now you can. And, and I love flipping through and seeing what an old neighbor said about me. Oh, shit. Where, you know? Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, you, you know, you'd be able to look at that and, and see. So, so, you know, know, know that. They, they yeah. care about credit. If you have very bad credit, uh, you will probably not get picked up by the Bureau of Prisons because you're susceptible to bribery. Uh, mm. So, yeah, Good you point. know, um, and watch that video on uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, you yeah. see that. If that's something that you think you can get in the mix of, then uh, then go for go it. Go for it, yeah. But something's got to change because the Bureau of Prisons has, has a staff shortage right now that is at a critical level. And the administration's answer has been, well, cut them loose then. You know, let's just start cutting people out of here. Do you know that the new director of the Bureau of Prisons just recently went before the Senate and was directly asked, how many staff members do you have that work at your agency? And she could not answer it. She had months to prepare for this hearing and could not say how many people worked at the Bureau of Prisons. Yikes. And the guy said to her, the senator, he's like, wait a minute, you, you, don't, you can't tell me how many people work there? We're working on that number, Senator. So it's, it's, it's the top-down leadership right now that's just garbage. And COVID wore everybody. Imagine COVID when it first kicked off inside a prison. Oh, my God. That yeah. wore everybody out. That must have been a hassle. And if, you're, if you work at a prison yeah. and your eight-hour shift is over with, and your relief doesn't come, guess what? You're working in another eight hours. And if you don't, you're fired. Damn. So know what you're getting into. Right. My goodness. Well, Steve, I, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, my friend. I think you shared a lot of valuable, uh, valuable information, truly valuable. And I thank you for that. And uh, thank you for opening up and telling us a little bit about yourself, your history, and some of the things people need to be aware about, really. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on and, and all the listeners. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, right, if, right. If, if these kind of things interest you, uh, that, that book, The Hot House, would be a good start. 
Um, and then let's start thinking about how we vote on these matters, okay? And what, what do we want to see? Do we want to see the child rapist get out in 12 years, but the guy that had a pound of weed get out in 20? You know, I mean, these, these things matter. And so we got to take a hard look at this, whether it's mandatory sentencing, what kind of reform are we doing? Um, are in, in this whole no bail thing that's going on in like yeah. New York City and stuff, where it's like just you know, or free fall with with uh, shoplifting and everything, Ooh. is that really what we want? Because if it keeps up, that's coming to a city near you. Too. Absolutely. Once again, my friend, I will talk to you on the on the other side, my friend. Outstanding. Thank you, Mike. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was my guest, Mr. Steve Marin, a great guy, a great Army veteran. An overall good human being. We very much appreciated his time, and I want to thank all of you out there for pressing play. Go to michaeldeacon.com for all information regarding the program. If you want merchandise, if you want to donate, please go to michaeldeacon.com. If you want bonus material, sign up right here on YouTube, become a member, or go to patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon. Once again, boys and girls, it's been an honor and pleasure to do this just for you. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo. Mahalo.